I might speak from here. Cool. Seems a long way up there. It's great to be here again today and, and to share with you a message that I preached a couple of weeks ago at, uh, at Atherton, but it's a little bit modified for today. So, uh, if you were in Atherton uh, two weeks ago, don't go to sleep this morning. There'll be some different parts and your challenge today is to find out what I'm preaching differently to what I preached a couple of weeks ago in Atherton. How's that? And I'm going to trust uh, Bonnie to put things up on the screen at the right time. Thanks, Bonnie. One of the things we've been doing in, in uh, Atherton for a number of months now is working through the book of Galatians, just like you've been doing through um, 1 Peter, from what uh, Pastor Jeff has been saying. And our theme for this year has been set free in 23. What it means to know the freedom of Christ in our lives or discover it and then live it out and then share it with others and help others to live that freedom in Christ. And uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians speaks really strongly about freedom in Christ. And I trust that this message today will, will echo some of the things that has already been said here this morning as uh, Belinda's been leading and the songs have said. I've got a picture up on the screen there of a fellow. You might have heard his story. Simeon Stylites, uh, I'd say Stylites, and he lived about um, uh, 390 AD. His claim to fame was he thought that being spiritual was living at the top of a pole for 37 years because he was closer to God. I thought he should have just moved to Atherton. You know, but uh, um, he, he felt that he needed to spend this time. It was a time of what they called asceticism, getting away some... some some people went and lived in caves for a, a few years. But this guy, Simon, Simeon rather, lived on top of the pole for 37 years. Now, you think about the logistics of that. You know? He couldn't have done by himself, could he? He had to have a crew, a support crew. So food, uh, shelter, waste, all that sort of stuff. How do you do it? Whether it was just one person supporting him or a whole team, over 37 years, I reckon it would have been a team. You know? I, don't, I think one person would have got bored. uh, But this was his idea of spirituality. Is it true? Is it right? You know, if if I was to say to you, if you want to be a spiritual person, then you have to climb to Mount Bartlefield, find a wedge-tailed eagle and pull a tail feather off of his tail. That would make you a spiritual person. Who'd have a go? I didn't think I'd see too many. I saw some hands. But it's not that easy, is it? And certainly this, this idea by Simeon wasn't that easy either. He might have had some very sincere times with God alone. We're not denying that. But how does that translate to everybody else? What does, how does his experience translate to everybody else? Is that, is that really what spirituality is about? And I believe the answer is no. I believe that spirituality is about our personal relationship with God. Wherever God chooses to have us, it could be lying on the on the trolley underneath the car in the garage. And that could be a spiritual moment for us and God. It could be hiking to the top of Mount Baldy and that could be a time when we're close to God. It's not, nothing to do with elevation. It's that time with God. And that's what it's about, our relationship with God, with Christ first of all, and we've certainly remembered that in the communion time this morning. But it also translates into our relationship with one another. And that's what Paul was getting at the whole time as he wrote through uh, the letter to the Galatians. Spirituality is not about physicality. Sorry, it's about being 
physical and present with Christ is not about being mystical as such. And today, I trust that the, the message we'll take home with us is that we want, if we want to live in that freedom of Christ, then we need to learn how to carry each other's burdens. Because that's what this passage says from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read it now. It should be up on the screen. Otherwise, follow along in your Bible. This is what Paul writes. So, there's a lot of uh, stuff before this in his letter and I'll mention on some of that, some of those as we get to it. But, but for today, what's God saying to you from this passage is the challenge. Paul writes, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. Another translation says carry one another's burdens. And in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. Did you know that that was a part of following Jesus was to be there for one another? That's what this scripture says. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4, each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. What's God saying to you from this passage today? A little bit of background to it. Earlier on in chapter, oh, overall in Paul's letter, it's, it's easily distinguished that it's broken into three sections. Chapters 1 and 2 was his authority to speak or to write this letter into the lives of the Galatian believers. Chapters uh, 3 and 4 was the theological basis of what he was uh, trying to teach to them and and then chapters 5 and 6 is the practical application or the practical spirituality of what he's trying to get them to learn. The big issue that the Galatian believers were facing was the uh, people called the Judaizers, uh, Jewish Christians who had come out of uh, Israel and were going around to a lot of the new churches and they were saying, Yes, it's okay to believe in Jesus. You must believe in Jesus, but you must also practice the Jewish traditions, whether that be the festivals like the Passover or something like that, or uh, they they pushed really hard circumcision, male circumcision. Only then would you be truly a Christian, would be their comment. And Paul was writing this letter because some people in the Galatian churches were being swayed by this argument. If you want to get more holy or be more right with God than you need to do, not only believe in Jesus but add this and add this and add this according to the Jewish traditions and he was correcting that in his letter. So he's already done that in this first first couple of parts of the letter and now in chapters 5 and 6 he's trying to say look there's really only one law to follow, not the law of Moses even though it's important, it's the law of Christ. What does it mean to fulfil the law of Christ? What's it mean to live out your salvation and that's where we're coming today. In fact, there's a couple of verses there. Uh, they, were, they were having some problems. This teaching from the Judaizers was creating some problems. Galatians 15 and verse 5, just a little bit before this in the letter, he says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So there's some internal conflict in these churches. Oh, we, 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 we follow Paul's teaching, but what about what, about what the Jews are teaching us? You know, uh, And then uh, chapter 5, verse 26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What does that mean? Conceited means I'm right and you're wrong. So you need to do what I say. We don't hear that in churches, do we? 
oh, I've, I'm following this person's teaching and he's, he's got all the answers so everybody else needs to follow that too. Provoking and envying each other. Wow, that guy seems or that lady seems to have their act together. Maybe it's because of what they're listening to, maybe because of what they're following. But Paul's saying, don't do that. Get back to the truth of the gospel. Get back to the truth of the Christian, of the gospel. that he's... And that word provoke is an interesting word there. It means to challenge somebody. Challenge them to a contest. You know, I'm right. You better believe it. If you don't, you're not going to be my friend anymore. That sounds like a schoolyard tactic, doesn't it? But sadly, I've heard that in churches over the years too. And it's based on a person's ego, a person's desire to control, rather than a person's willingness to submit to the truth of the gospel. Like I said, the each others that are in this passage are, uh, could easily be translated one another. Uh, and there's lots of one another's in the scriptures. And Paul deals with some of them here. It's about the relational context that we have as followers of Jesus. We are personally and individually saved. There's no doubt about that. But we live out that salvation in the context of the fellowship of believers, in the context of living with each other. And so we've got to be careful that we don't become ego-driven or conceited or or provoking, challenging one another. We, We are working together for Christ. And John Stott, one uh one Bible writer from the last century spoke to this. He says, we've got to be careful that we're not saying, I'm better, I'm better than you and I'll prove it. Or, you're better than me and I resent it. Those are not good relational statements, are they? They're not that, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. Rather, we should be saying, you're a person of importance in your own right and it's my joy and privilege to serve and work with you. So Paul's trying to get back to that. He's trying to draw his readers, listeners back to that. So I think there's four relational responsibilities that we need to consider today. Four things I want you to take home with you out of this passage. The first one is we need to restore the broken. What does verse 1 say? It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. There's a paraphrase of this verse which I really like and it says this, If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. That makes sense to me. That if we, if we want to be there for others, Sometimes we need to let others be there for us because we may need it. When, it. when Paul uses the term brothers, it means that the background to this is, I love the picture language. I love the pictures in the Greek language. This term brothers means from the same womb. So, so in fact, you're saying, you and I are from the same origin who is Jesus, our Saviour. So he's saying to them, this is the bottom line for our relationship. Jesus is our saviour. We're a family, brothers and sisters with one another. But he says, if you, are, if you find a brother who is caught in sin, and that word caught means to be entrapped in a cage, you know, like a, a bird or an animal trap. They, they come, they're attracted to something in that cage, they come in and the cage captures them. Sadly, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and you may know some of them, who are, have been caught up in things of this world, or the attractive nature of this world. 
and have been dragged away by the attractiveness to the point where they no longer follow or worship Jesus. And that is so sad. Got to be careful here. It's so sad when it happens in your own family. What we have a responsibility to do is exactly what Paul says there. You who are spiritual. And who does that mean? It means anybody who has put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's the beginning of our spirituality, our walk with God. You who are spiritual should restore him or her gently. How do we do that? I believe the initial thing we can do is to pray for them. We can always have the door of our house open to them and welcome them in. We can plan to spend time with them because our responsibility is to see them restored. But Paul's warning here is watch out. Don't get so involved in the things that they're doing for the sake of being with them that you ultimately lose yourself to those things that they're doing. Watch yourself. Be careful. That word sin can be translated trespasses and that carries the idea of stumbling or or sliding off a slippery path so the person's left stuck in a ditch. How's that for a description of sin? I've always used the the description of sin of missing the mark. You know, you're aiming at a target, but you miss the mark. And I found this one this week. Sliding off a slippery path so that you're actually stuck in the ditch. That's a great description of sin. And it doesn't refer to the size of sin, whether it's big or small. So what's our responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ if we see them sliding down a slippery path ultimately to end up in a ditch. Don't we want to reach out and grab hold of them and pull them back on the path or walk along the path with them? That should be our attitude, shouldn't it? We have to be careful that we're not caught up in what they're doing. We have to be careful that we're, 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 we're being spiritual in a practical sense, not in a mystical sense. We don't have to be a super saint to help others. Spiritual people are ordinary people who know an extraordinary God. Is that you? I think it is, isn't it? We are ordinary people who know an extraordinary God. And he's the one that will work through us. This verse is interesting in verses because it talks about you, you who are spiritual. It's not about you individually. It's a collective you. So the responsibility of any brother or sister or for any brother or sister who are, who are getting involved in sin or sliding down that slippery path of sin, is a corporate responsibility. It's all our responsibility to help that person get back and be restored to Christ. I wonder, are we prepared to do that? Are we doing it now? That word is, uh, the word restore is a now and ongoing word. it's a a present imperative. It means that this should be our common practice. Not to say, oh, they made their bed, they can live in it, let them go. That is not the way of followers of Jesus. It literally means to make something right by bringing it back to its former condition. Wouldn't we love to see people who now We might call them prodigal sons or daughters who once walked closely with God, who've wandered away, slipped off the path if you like. 
Wouldn't we love to see those people back in a personal and intimate relationship with the living God? That's our responsibility. The part of our commitment as, as believers in Jesus. I wonder if we want to be a part of that. We, we have to be a part of that. Paul's encouraging people. Remember, he's talking in this situation where some of the congregations, some of the churches, some of the people in the churches have been influenced by these Judaizers to the point where they're not fellowshipping with those who don't believe the same thing as they do anymore. They've separated themselves. But they're going down a slippery path of legalism rather than trusting Jesus for every day. So Paul says we have to gently restore them, not get caught up in what they're doing. Bring them back to their former condition where they knew Jesus, walked with him, talked with him, loved him, heard his voice every day. Sometimes restoration is a part of that healing process for people who have struggled with sin in their lives. Knowing that someone or a group of people are there to support them and encourage them, be with them through the tough times. We need to restore the broken. There's lots of passages in the scripture that remind us of, that that's God's very nature. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 16 says this, God speaking through the prophet, I'll search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the, the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God's heart is reflected in the life of us, his followers, to restore those who have strayed, to bring wholeness, bring them back to wholeness in God. That's his desire, that should be our desire too. Even in the New Testament, uh, the writer Jude says this in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, he says, well there's only one chapter in Jude, isn't there? <laughs> It says, be merciful, to those who, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Are we prepared to do that? It's a big effort, isn't it? It's a big effort. But it's what God asks us to do and what's, it's what Paul was challenging his readers, his listeners to do. James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 says this, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. God's in the business of forgiveness. That's what that verse says. Whatever his sins are, whatever his his disobedience to God, if you bring him back into that relationship with God, God will cover over those sins. In fact, that's what Jesus went to the cross for, isn't it? But you know, some of our folk, some of our friends, some of our family think that they're so far away from God, how could God ever forgive them? How could he ever welcome them back? I'm so glad that God is the God of ten times chances, not just second chances. Whenever we repent, confess our sins and repent, he will welcome us back, just like the the father of the so-called prodigal son ran to his son as he was walking down the road and welcomed him home. That's what God does for us. We need to be there for those who are broken. We need to show them that care and compassion that Christ shows us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25 says this, Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance 
leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Paul was writing about Timothy. And Romans 2.4 says, it's God's kindness which leads a person to repentance. I've got to be honest to you, I don't always get this right. Uh, sometimes my preference would be a swift kick up the backside or twist somebody's arm up their back and say, wake up, get back on the track. But we can't do that, can we? Because I don't think that's covered by the word gently. Hmm. And sometimes we get caught up in that person's pain and sin as well. But what we need to do is to understand what they're going through, not necessarily by experiencing it, understand what they're going through so that so when we come to people who are struggling, who are feeling guilty because they've walked away from God, maybe you should come with tears in our eyes. Maybe you should come with love for the sinner but hate for the sin. I find it hard not to get angry when people don't fulfil their promises. I feel guilty when I don't fulfil my promises. But when people willingly do not fulfil their promises to one another, I get angry about that. But Paul writes, keep a lookout. Watch yourself that you don't get tempted by the same things. So I've got to be careful. I've got to keep myself in check. And James, again he says, we stumble in many ways. We struggle with sin. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to know how to respond when a brother or sister in Christ is struggling under temptation. Hold on a minute. Isn't that what pastors are supposed to be able to do? You're supposed to have all the answers to those situations? I struggle, I want to be honest, because I don't have all the answers, but God does. So, if that person who's who's walking away from the Lord is willing to sit down and to read some of God's word with me and we look for passages that address their situation, often God will do something that's beyond what I can do, because his word is a living word. So, the first relational responsibility is to restore the broken, Paul writes in this passage. The second thing he says is to relieve the burdened. We need to relieve the burdened. <clears throat> For over 10 years now, the mission statement of Athens Tablelands Baptist Church has been, does anybody know? I'll give you the first one, following Jesus. You know what the second one is? Caring for each other. The third one is impacting the world. This is the caring for each other passage. Paul says it very clearly. What's he saying in verse 2? He says, carry each other's burdens or carry one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. Remember his battle with the Judaizers has been about the legalistic approach to the law of Moses because even though you can tick the boxes on all the rules and the regulations, the relationship is what's most important and these Judaizers were coming and saying, you've, you've got the relationship with Jesus but you need to tick all the boxes. In fact, they were majoring on that. What Paul says, the law of Christ is not ticking the boxes, the law of Christ is love. It's that relationship that we have with one another. It's a word, it's that, that one another is, a, is an emphasis in the Greek. It's, it's a word that says we, we are jointly to shoulder one another's burdens. How are we doing that? Are we doing that? Again, it's, a, it's an active Imperative it is. You must, you must keep on doing it. You must keep on bearing. You must keep on carrying one another's burden. It's not just a once-off event. In, a, in our world, we tend to be very selfish-orientated. We tend to be, 
I'll look after myself. And if I've got time, then I might do something for somebody else occasionally. But in the context of this letter, Paul is saying these people have wandered away from the Lord. They've got caught up in false teaching. They've, they've been influenced by others. It's going to take a while to get them back onto track. Are we prepared to put the hard yards in? That's a big ask. Interesting, it means to this, this bearing another's burden is, is, to, is to take up and hold or to remove and lift an overwhelming load. How do we do that? Not in our own strength, in the strength that Christ gives. And uh, this burden, the, the word for burden here is, is an interesting one. It's that huge burden that's weighing somebody down and they're staggering along the highway of life with it. It's, it's like... Um, when you, is it the igneous rocks that we find on our farms? Is that, is that igneous, volcanic rocks? Yeah? It's like when Carl goes to shift a big rock and, uh, off his farm and uh, he just can't do it by himself. So he needs to call on the, his friend the tractor. No, call on his, friend, his friends to come and give him a hand. It's that sort of burden that, that you can't do by yourself. It says that we need to carry one another's burden. And it could be a lot of things for a lot of people. It could be sickness. It could be a sudden tragedy. It could be a personal loss, financially, uh, broken dreams, a failed marriage. It could be family problems. It could be career setbacks. It could be the death of a loved one. It means something someone cannot carry on their own. Do you know anybody like that? in the life of our church, someone who's struggling with these issues or others. Ian McLaren, who was a pastor over 100 years ago, made this statement about this passage. He says, Be kind. Everyone you meet is carrying a heavy burden. Some are better at covering up than others. So everyone has a heavy burden. Everyone has a burden that needs somebody else to come alongside them and help them with that burden. Paul doesn't tell us what the burden is and where it comes from and that really doesn't seem to matter. But what it does mean is says, instead of judging others and saying, well, he made that decision, now he has to suffer the consequences, is having the attitude of how can I come along and support that person through that difficult time. Exodus chapter 23 and 5, uh, in a part of the laws that Moses was given, to share with the people of of Israel, uh, God says this, If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Can you get the picture? Even if it's somebody who hates you. The law of Moses said, help him out. Help that person out, get their donkey back on its feet. So in a sense... We are our brother's and sister's keeper. We are responsible for one another. Bearing burdens is an act of love. When we help the hurting, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, Paul writes. And that's summed up in John chapter 13, 34. You know this verse. Why don't you read it with me? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
That's what it means to be carrying each other's burden. When we see people who've been, who've been rocked by the reality of life, people who are struggling with the weight of the world, then we need to ask ourselves a simple question. What can I do to help bear the burden that they're carrying? Rather than just letting them deal with it on their own. But we have to be careful though in that in helping them we're not putting more or extra burdens on them. Because often we'll, we're the fix-it people, aren't we? Aren't Christians the fix-it people? We've got all the answers to the problems in the world. Anybody agree with that? I thought the one answer everything was Jesus. Well, he is. But some of us try to fix people's problems. It doesn't always work that way. One, because they've got to be willing to have their problems fixed. But I wonder if we say, well, you, to get right with God, you need to do this, 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 this and this. And if you don't, too bad. That's not God's way, is it? God's way is coming alongside. He gives us his Holy Spirit to come alongside with us and, and to empower us and to equip us to, to live through life's difficulties. But he also gives us one another, each other, to carry each other's burdens. Fallen followers of Jesus need the help of faithful followers of Jesus. Who do I say spiritual people were? Anybody who's put their faith in Jesus. We've got to be careful that we don't add extra to people to say that if you really want to get rid of that burden, then I won't believe you have until you do this, this and this. Really, we need to point them back to Jesus. So we need to show people we care when we bear one another's burdens. The third relational response that I believe is in this passage today is that we've got to repent of bragging. What do I mean by that? God knows you and I will not restore the broken or relieve the burden of people if we are too full of ourselves. I'm sure there's no one here today that thinks that they're full of themselves. But surreptitiously or underlying, often we think, as we drive down the road or we hear someone's story, that would never happen to me. Or how could they let them get themselves into that situation? Aren't we putting ourselves on a higher level? Aren't we bragging that we're better than somebody else? And Paul says, if anyone, verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So in, in Christ... We have to surrender our lives. We have to become nothing so that he becomes everything. Is that true? And when we do, life has a different perspective. Life has fulfilment. Life has peace. Life has joy. All those things that Paul wrote about in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit can be evident in our life. When, when we become nothing, Christ becomes everything. Verse 4 says, Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anybody else. Don't we do that? Oh, oh, Belinda's the best singer in the world. I'm so jealous and I know you're not. Neither am I. But we do. We compare. I could never do that because, you know, Pastor Jeff's the greatest preacher in the world. We're comparing ourselves to others. That's the positive side, but the negative side, I would never, be, never make that decision. You know, I would never choose to go down that track in my life inverted brackets, inverted commas because I'm better than that 
I think we have to be careful that we don't look down our noses as Christians on our brothers and sisters who are struggling in the life situations they face and be thinking, if we, even if we don't verbalise it, be thinking these sort of comments, they deserve it. She is so weak. He just can't handle the pressure. You know, I saw it coming. Maybe they'll listen to me next time. Isn't that the thought or the comment of arrogance? I'm better than they are? So Paul is saying, don't be like that. Because that's what these false teachers have been doing. They've been coming and saying, oh, look, we agree with Jesus is, is, uh, is the only means of salvation, but you need to do this, this and this, then you'll be like us. That's dangerous, isn't it? We, I don't want people to be like me, I want them to be like Jesus. So if I'm not put, continually pointing people to Jesus, then I'm not doing the job that he's asking you to do. It's been a, a, a mankind problem since the day dot. Proverbs 26 Verse 12, the wisest man in the world, Solomon, said this, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. That's ego, isn't it? That's arrogance. That's bragging. So we need to repent of that. Certainly, don't get me wrong, certainly we've discovered many new and wonderful things and God has changed us dramatically. And we give him all praise and glory from that. But it shouldn't be a badge of honour. It shouldn't be, I'm better than that person because they haven't experienced the same thing. It should be, how do I encourage that person to know that Jesus who has changed my life so dramatically? Solomon says, a wise man in his own eyes, there is more hope for a fool than him. And in 1 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 10, Paul writes, So, if you are thinking you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. He's writing this to Christians who thought that they were doing okay in the Corinthian church. But there was an element of spiritual pride and ego that he's addressing when he said this. We are quick to condemn. We are quick to look the other way. And sometimes, like the story of the the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, we're, we're often quick to walk on the other side of the road. How are we really walking with Jesus, if that's our attitude towards people. I want to share with you a story about one pastor who went into a local prison ministry and uh, uh, he records this story and, and I think some of us have not necessarily been there for local prison ministry, but the attitude that's reflected in the story has been ours too. And so he said this, I had two thoughts as I drove up to the prison. First, I was afraid it didn't help when I asked the leader of the uh, group that I was going to if I should take off my tie before I went in. He told me I should and I smiled knowingly and, and remarked, I shouldn't wear a tie so they can use it to hang themselves, right? And with a straight face the leader replied, he said, no, it's so they don't hang you. Okay, so I don't think that made him any less afraid but he didn't wear the tie in. I had a second thought which he says, I'm embarrassed to admit. As we were ushered into a windowless, better block room for the service, I felt self-righteous. I looked at the guys in the room and wondered what bad things they had done and began to think I was better than them. I wasn't prepared for what happened next. As 20 prisoners and our team of four stood to sing Amazing Grace, 
the first verse reverberated loudly off the prison walls as the inmates sang their hearts out. I've never heard such jubilant singing in all my life. What does it say? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. This pastor writes, immediately I was convicted by the conviction of the convicts. I was convicted by the conviction of the convicts and saddened by my spiritual smugness, his spiritual pride. Just then one of the inmates standing next to me pointed to his chest, broke into a huge smile and smiled, shouted, I'm a new man. Amazing grace, God's grace had changed his life. This pastor writes, that wrecked me. While my brothers were worshipping, I was broken and began weeping. Even though they were in prison, they were freer than I was. I was the one locked up by my pride. I was the older brother who had come face to face with a group of prodigals who had returned to the father. As they continued to sing loudly from their hearts, I was was invited to the party. That day God's grace touched me and I went in and joined the celebration. We need to repent of our bragging. We need to repent of our thinking that we're better than others. And I wonder if that's where you are today. We show care. We carry one another's burdens. When we restore the broken, when we relieve the the burdened, when we repent of bragging. And there's one more responsibility we have before I finish. We need to respect our boundaries. Respect your boundaries. Verse 5 says this. For each will have to bear his own load. Verse 2 referred to that overwhelming load that the person was, was struggling with that they couldn't carry by themselves. But the picture of this verse is to bear your own load. And it could be uh, a hiking backpack type load. You know, um, 40, 50 kgs, whatever you put in your backpack. You know you can handle it for the journey. You have to bear your own load. Each of us has issues in our lives that we have to bear on our own. But when we need help because the burden is becoming too great, then we need to allow others to care for us and to carry that burden with us. I wonder if you're at that point where you know each other well enough because it's all about relationships, isn't it? The gospel is all about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another through faith in Jesus Christ. If you know each other well enough to be able to do the things that Paul's encouraging us to do. What's he say there? I'm going to ask a question regarding each of those four uh, relationship responsibilities. Firstly, he says, restore the broken. My question to you today is, who do you know who is broken today? Is it somewhere in your sphere of influence? Someone in your family? Someone at your workplace who is broken. Are you able to re- help them be restored? Secondly, relieve the burden. What one thing you, can you do to relieve their burden? Do you know the one thing you could do? One, uh, one of the things you could do is to listen. Sometimes people don't have sounding boards. Sometimes anybody they talk to will always be a fix-it person. I know what you should do. Sometimes people just want to tell you their story so you might understand their burden. 
repent of bragging. I wonder if God is humbling you right now. I wonder if you've been there for somebody and they've shared their story with you and you've, if you've thought it, if not said it, you should do this, this and this and this. That'll get, that'll get you right with God again. Sometimes we need to put our spiritual pride and ego aside and just be there to listen. And then we need to respect your boundaries. We need to make sure that, that we're not taking everybody else's cares on our shoulders and that we're, we're allowing people the freedom to work through their own burdens, not being the fix-it people that we often are, but allowing them to work through their burdens, coming alongside, helping them with that, but not taking it on our shoulders. I wonder if we're in that position today. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that Jesus is in the restoration business. Is that good for you? It's good for me. We wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here today if Jesus wasn't in the restoration business. I, can't, I don't like to imagine where I would be if Jesus hadn't restored my life. He doesn't give up on us. I said before, he's the God of ten times chances, not just first chances, second chances. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't stop loving us when we can't lift our load. Do you know why? Because he's provided one another for us. How do we get to that point? If we are just, if if we're coming to church on Sunday mornings, that's wonderful, that's fantastic. We come to worship God. But if that's all it is for us and we're not even getting to know one another on a first name basis, we're not even getting to hear one another's story about how they came to faith in Jesus or what it's, like, what it's been like this week walking with Jesus, then we're not in that position to carry one another's burdens. We're not in that position to care about one another's burdens. So how do we address that? We need to interact with one another. Whether it be over morning tea although it's a short time, whether it be uh, uh, fellowship dinners, whether it be um, a small group or a prayer group or, or a, uh, uh, doing something together with another family in life at the church. That's when we get to hear people's situations. And it doesn't happen like that. It's not immediate. It's over that time of trusting and caring for each other that you think, yeah, I can trust this person so I can share with them some of the burdens that I'm carrying. And it's praying for one another. Isn't that great, the way God set it up? That we don't have to do life alone. First of all, he's with us by his spirit. Then he's also with us by his spirit and other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can carry each other's burdens. We can care for each other. There's an incredible freedom in that because we don't have to take their problems on ourselves. We can listen, we can pray, we can advise if it's asked for, we can encourage, we can keep people accountable. How are you going with that? I'm praying for you this week, send a text, all the rest. To know that they're not doing life tough alone. If that's the one message that God wants us to take home today, it's carrying each other's burdens, whatever that might look like. How about I pray? And then we'll finish. Father, I thank you that you didn't leave us on our own. And Jesus uh, said that to the apostles. He said, I'm going away but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth concerning myself. And Paul is reiterating that in a way this morning, Father, in his letter to the Galatians saying, you're not on your own but you have a responsibility to care for one another and to carry one another's burdens and you have a responsibility to let others care for you if you're struggling as well. 
We know that can only happen, Father, in, in the context of trust and relationships. We thank you, Lord, that you're in that. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us wisdom if we hear of others saying uh, the gospel plus, plus, plus. Father, we pray that, that we'll come back to the truth of your word, which shows us how to live as your followers, as we bear one another's burdens for the sake of the gospel. So strengthen us and equip us, uh, change our mindset if that's needed, Lord, to help us to see those who are struggling with life, see those who are, str- who are falling away from faith in Jesus. Give us the momentum, the impetus, the desire to see them come back to following Jesus. Father, we do this to honour you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for letting me share. If anyone wants to talk any more about that, please.